Molweni Sambunani, how's it? Aweme Brew, and welcome to Ramcast. I am your host, Ryan Mathers. We are so happy for you to be here. After the the last week, we had to take some time off, and it was a long walk to freedom to get back to this episode of this podcast. And I wanted to thank everybody for the wait, and now we are here. Amarla. Thank you very much, Madiba. On today's episode of the podcast, we shall be looking at the top five films of the last five years. So from 2018 to now in 2023, we're going to be looking at the top five films. Well, maybe top five films is the wrong thing to call it, but it's good for the algorithm. It's more my top five favorite films of the last five years. So they might not be the best You'll probably hate them, or you'll love them, who the hell knows. But uh, they were ones that touched me quite deeply, and we're going to get into those later. But right now, we're going to jump into a little section that I like to call... The Best of the Week. Yeah, there's no um, Joe Pubic recording for The Best of the Week this week. Because we got something a little bit special planned here for Best of the Week for this week. And that is last episode's Best of the Week caused a bit of controversy. And what I mean by that is I decided to pick the Springboks win over my dog Ben. And let me tell you when I say that this thing caused a slight shitstorm. I had so many people getting hold of me and they were like, no mabru. You don't do that with the dog. Don't take him for a puss like that. You just throw the dog away and you put the spring box there for the book. Naime, bro. That's not key fixy. It's not quiet. It's not deadly. So I decided, let me apologize to my dog. So I tried to do an audio interview with young Benny and uh, just, you know, chat it out, hash it out and say to him, As much as I would love to have had him as best of the week, I had to choose that win uh, of the Springboks over France. And we tried to discuss it. Yeah, he wasn't having any of it. So uh, here is my very, very, very short interview with my dog, Benny. Please enjoy. We are joined on a very special podcast (laughs) interview. With uh, Benny, Benny, are you upset? Are you upset because I picked the spring box over you in the previous pace of the week? I'm terribly sorry. I'm terribly sorry. These things happen. Okay. Oh, no. I understand. I understand. I'm sorry, Ben. Okay. Do you, do you forgive me? All right. I'll take that as a yes. Okay. All right. We'll have a peace offer. We'll have a peace offer. How about some? Wait. How, how about some chicken? Chicken? Okay. Right, so there we go. Uh, that was young Benjamin Mathers. And as you can hear, a little bit belligerent. He wasn't hearing what I was trying to say. But uh, still, at the end of the day, the way to his heart is always chicken. Now we're going to be moving on to another kind of newish section that I'm going to be bringing to each episode. And that is where every episode I'm going to answer two listener questions each week. And the reason for this is that the 
AMAs are proving really, really popular and I'm getting a lot of people sending through questions just randomly during the week or like mates chatting to me. They're like, Ryan, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And I'd love if you answered this. And I'm like, I've got this amount of questions. So let's just put it into the episode and we can create a little bit of listener engagement and it's always a good thing. So without further ado, our two questions this week come from Chris and Terence. And Chris would like to know, what is my favorite Martin Scorsese film? Ooh, Mr. Moody, Mr. Moody. My favorite Scorsese film. This is a tough one, brother. This is a tough one. Because my heart, I'm having a little R. Kelly moment now. My mind's telling me no, but my body, my body's telling me yes. I don't think anyone needed that, but I'll leave it in the podcast. (laughs) My favorite Scorsese film of all time, I would put down to The Departed. It's the one that I've probably watched the most. And I feel like it's the one, it's my easiest watch. Although, although there was a time where I went through a heavy taxi driver phase, which is not a good thing. Trust me, guys, you do not want to go through a heavy taxi driver phase. Trent Reznor also went through one. It's not good for the old mental health. And I watched Taxi Driver a hell of a lot. And, you know, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's a fucking depressing film. And it's a really gritty and it's a time of New York that I think wants to be forgotten. And yeah, so I could say Taxi Driver, but I'm going to stick with my um, my original choice of The Departed. I also have much love for Goodfellas. Although Goodfellas sometimes gets a little bit of heat from people for some weird reason. Uh, I'm not sure why, but uh, yeah, Goodfellas is one of those films where if it's on, I'll start watching it and then I'll watch it straight through to the end. So yeah, Mr. Chris, The Departed. I mean, you got to make special mention for uh, just including Dropkick movies, shipping up to Boston. I mean, come on, man. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. So there we go. The Departed. Mr. Terrence would like to know... What is a director's cut or a recommendation of a director's cut that completely changes a film? Thank you, Mr. Terence. Now, at the top of my head, my the one director's cut that completely changes the film for the better, it actually makes the film what it originally was, is Blade Runner. Um, the original release of Blade Runner had um, this weird narration or kind of uh, voiceover from Harrison Ford that takes the kind of the mystery or the magic out of the the movie and um, just explains too much and actually strangely makes it feel quite flat. It's weird. It's like it's 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 taking away the soul of the film. It's very difficult to explain. And then it had this really odd ending, which if you want to know an interesting bit of trivia was actually footage that was shot for The Shining that wasn't used and it was stuck in at the end of Blade Runner. It's a very, very weird situation there. So yeah, the you've had a couple of cuts of Blade Runner, uh, but what is known as the final cut, and that's generally what you get on all the Blu-rays and on streaming services and that type of stuff, that I would feel is the definitive version of Blade Runner. I have a strange relationship when it comes to director's cuts like... Nine times out of ten, I 
always prefer going back to whatever the original thing was released, be it good or bad, because that, for whatever reason, that's what originally went out. If the studio got involved, if there was last minute edits, or if there was whatever, but that is the version that was out. That was the first version I saw. So that is what I stick with. So generally, when a director's cut comes out, and people might say, you know, it's for the better. So like Terminator 2 has a director's cut, which includes some stuff. And I don't like it because that's not my memory of the film. Um, same thing with Alien 3. Alien 3 has a, well, you can't call it a director's cut because Fincher completely disowned the film. Uh, it's an assembly cut, you know, very, very fancy uh, term going on there. And... While, yes, it makes the story better for Alien 3, it's still not my Alien 3. It's weird. I have the... Now, this, this is going to get me some blowback. But I prefer the original versions of Lord of the Rings over the extended editions. I know. I can just... I can feel the death stares. Especially, I can feel the hate that's going to come from the UK. From two of my brothers over there. I can I can feel I can feel it I can feel the eye of Sauron on me now from from the UK. And yeah, it's just true. I just that's the films that I saw in the cinema. I remember the beats, I remember how they go. And um yeah, I just I prefer them over the over the the extended editions because for one and I have the same thing when it comes to, you know, like uh, uh, Zack Snyder's I almost cocked that up, Terence and Chris. Oh, Schnack Zyder. Uh, I, I have the same thing with his uh, Snyder Cut, where, yes, it's a much better film and whatever, but it's still like three hours, four hours long. It's not a movie. It's the same thing with the extended cut. I mean, the extended cut, it's the same thing with the, the Lord of the Rings extended editions. They're not films. You know, you can't have a four-hour... Well, you can have a four-hour film, but you... Do you get what I'm trying to say? It's it, it just... It's not what the original intention was. So it's this kind of hybrid thing that sits out there that you can view, but it's not really what the film was at the end of the day. So yeah, that's my very extremely long convoluted answer to that. Another honorable mention just popped into my head is the Apocalypse Now Redux cut. Uh, a friend of mine, Aiden, and myself, we uh, skipped out of class one day at Bergfleet High School. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this to the public. And uh, went to go watch This Apocalypse Now Redux at Canal Walk. And this film is almost clocking on four hours long. And we didn't realize that. So, uh, yeah, we <laughs> people thought we went missing. I'm sure they were about to put out posters for us. So, yeah. So, all in all... Except for Blade Runner. Generally, I'm not the biggest fan of director's cuts. So, not the right person to ask for a recommendation. But my recommendation would be Blade Runner. Alrighty then. It is time to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Which is the top five films of the last five years. So, from 2018 to 2023... I think my maths checks out because I was a bit cuckered at school. That are being five years. Right. Like I mentioned up top, these are my top five favorite films. This is not what I classify as the best made films of the last five years. That's a whole separate discussion in itself. These are just ones that 
I watched and really stuck with me and that I could watch again and over and over and over for various reasons which I'm going to get into. So, without further ado, at number five, we have Ad Astra, which by the by is a Latin phrase meaning to the stars. Check out the brains on Brad. Not really, but anyway. Ad Astra came out in 2019 and uh, it was directed by James Gray and it stars Brad Pitt, who also produced the film through his Plan B production company. And it stars Tommy Lee Jones, Liv Tyler and Donald Sutherland. So to quickly summarize what the story of Ad Astra is, it's about an astronaut called Roy McBride, who is the coolest cat you've ever met under pressure. Like, this dude's heart rate never goes up above, I can't remember what it is in the film, 60, 50, something around there, beats per minute, which is, like, ridiculously fit. That's like, fuck me, I'm not even going to tell what my heart rate is 90% of the time when I'm sitting, like, on the toilet. It's not good, okay? Not the best ticker. But anyway, I digress. So, Pitt, or Roy, as we should call him, is... It's a very cool customer. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't show his emotions. He's estranged from his wife. He has these monologues or these uh, sessions where he's got to talk to NASA or Mission Command where he says that he's ready for his missions and he's, he's completely almost devoid of emotion. And then what happens is there's a, a kind of a pulse, an electric pulse that goes out through the solar system. And without giving too much away... It all has to do with Roy's father, Clifford McBride, who was this crack astronaut back in the day that founded a project called the Lima Project, which was where they went searching for extraterrestrial life out in the furthest regions of the solar system and right around the orbit of Neptune, not Uranus. (laughs) Yes, I am 37 years old. So add Astro. Ad Astra is one of those films that I have recommended to people. I'm like, please, you have to watch this. It's moving for me. It talks to me in so many different areas. And everyone I've recommended this film to absolutely hates it. (laughs) Or maybe hates it is a, a strong term, but they like, they just don't get it. They're like... I don't see it, Ryan. This movie's boring. It's pretentious. It's, it's you know, it's trying to be 2001 in Space Odyssey, but in the modern era with, like, daddy issues. What's going on here? So, dear listener, when I recommend this to you, chances are you are not going to like it. You might even not like, you know, the other four films on this list. But this film does mean something to me quite important. And... Why do I love Ad Astra so much and why is it included in my top five films? For one, I am an enormous sucker for for a film where you have this very ambient, ethereal soundtrack and people kind of stare off into the distance and have these intense philosophical monologues about emotion and anger and what it means to be a man and the relationship between a son and his father and vice versa while traveling through space. I mean, that's like my perfect film right there. 
But Ad Astra, like I mentioned there, deals with some intense topics, but it keeps it kind of under the radar a little bit. It tries to stun you with its visuals and with the music and all that type of thing. But at the heart of this film is the relationship between Roy and Clifford. It's the relationship between this father and the son and the son not wanting to repeat the sins of his father, how emotionally devoid his father was and how he's becoming the same thing and how it's affected his marriage and everything in Sandry. And I don't want to give too much of the film away, but yeah, the, and f- for very obvious reasons that, uh, that scratches something with me, but it's just, it's a beautifully told film. I think it's got um, a subtle yet profound message about it when it comes to fathers and sons and the relationship there. And it's in space. So what more can you want? So number five, Ad Astra, please go check it out. Number four on the list, we have Oppenheimer. So Oppenheimer came out in 2023. It's written and directed by Christopher Nolan. And I think it stars basically everybody in Hollywood. You've got uh, Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer. You've got Emily Blunt as Oppenheimer's wife, Kitty. Matt Damon as Leslie Groves. Robert Downey Jr. as Louis Strauss. And Florence Pugh as um, Jean Tatlock. There's also an enormous supporting cast where you've got Josh Hartnett, Casey Affleck, Rami Malek, and Kenneth Branagh, and everybody in Sundry. So Oppenheimer is obviously the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was a theoretical physicist who basically invented the atomic bomb or is known as the father of the atomic bomb because of his role in the Manhattan Project at the during and at the end of World War II. So why is Oppenheimer on my top five list? And why am I recommending it to you? If you didn't see it, because for those that don't know... If you were living under a rock, Oppenheimer was part of the Barbenheimer phenomenon where Barbie and Oppenheimer came out at the exact same time in 2023. And because of that, they were marketed as a uh, two films that you should watch back to back because of how starkly different they were with subject matter. You know, Barbie, but Barbie, you know, with pastels and bright colors and whatever. And Oppenheimer about, you know, the creation of nuclear weapons you know, and everything's muted and blacks and greys and whatever. So the marketing was this kind of juxtaposition between these two extreme kind of films and how you should see both. And both films did incredibly well because of this marketing push. So why Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer is, for my money, the greatest film that Christopher Nolan has ever done. It's all of his skills and all of his tropes and all of his things finally coming together and meshing and it shows on the screen but Oppenheimer is also a deceptive little film in terms of how it was marketed in its trailers and just generally the kind of the vibe of Christopher Nolan because before this Nolan was doing these kind of high concept visuals spectacular films and everyone or me in particular I was going into Oppenheimer thinking this is how they're going to do... I was convinced he was going to detonate a nuclear bomb for real because, you know, obviously Christopher Nolan has that thing of doing everything practically without CGI and whatever. So 
how exactly was were they going to detonate this nuclear weapon or show it on screen? So everything was built around the the bomb of the explosion scenes and whatever, and that kind of did the film not a disservice, but Oppenheimer at its heart is not about this visual spectacle, even though 90% of the film was shot on IMAX and you were pushed to go see it in IMAX because of the visuals and whatever, but really at its heart, this film is a very intense and personal character study of J. Oppenheimer. And the effects that the creation of nuclear weapons had on his psyche and the guilt that he felt afterwards and the blame game that the US government put on him and also his flirtation with communism and what happened in the kind of the McCarthy era after that and it's just a fascinating character study into this man from when he first started university and his dreams of theoretical physics his relationship with Albert Einstein, everything that happened at the Manhattan Project, and everything that happened post the two nuclear bombs in Japan. And you can see the journey that this man goes through and the toll that he places on himself due to the amount of lives that were lost because of what he created and the danger that he put on the world or the age that he brought the world into with nuclear weapons. So fascinating film. It is very long. It's just on three hours and it's very talky. <laughs> it's 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 a lot of dialogue. It's backwards and forwards. It's that type of thing. But I highly recommend it. If you didn't go see it, please give Oppenheimer a chance. It's a fantastic film. And yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Number three on the list is Everything Everywhere all at once. What can I say about this beautiful little gem of a film? Came out in 2022, and it's an independent film directed by the Daniels, and it stars Michelle Yeoh as Evelyn Wang, who's a Chinese-American immigrant who discovers that we exist in a multiverse. And there are multiple versions of people and the multiverse is collapsing in on itself due to this very evil entity who, well, let's not go into spoilers. This is an absolute little gem of a film that has won so many awards. It took the Oscars, it took everything else, and there is very, very good reason for that. And it's my favorite kind of film and it's a little bit what this podcast is like in that it's saying something very profound, this film. It's diving into incredibly philosophical concepts of existentialism and nihilism and the meaning of life and the meaning of love and the multiversal concept and what have you, while wrapped up in complete dick and fart jokes and salad fingers and just absolute nonsense and buffoonery but it's absolutely wearing its heart and its sleeve at the same time. I really don't want to tell too much about this film because if you haven't seen it, please, I implore you, go watch it. It's a different watch. It's going to challenge you. You're going to think it's ridiculous, but give it a chance. Sit through it and you will see what I'm talking about. Very, very, very deep film, but with dick and fart jokes. And 
yeah, <laughs> let me not say anymore. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Coming at number three. It's lovely. I, I, I love this film so, so, so much. Please go check it out. Coming in at number two is the film that single-handedly saved cinema from the lockdowns and the coronavirus pandemic and whatever. It is Top Gun Maverick. Coming out in 2022, it's directed by Joseph Kaczynski and stars good old Tommy C or Tom Cruise who reprises his role as Maverick. And we jump forward a good couple of years and we're dealing with the new generation of Top Gun students led by Miles Teller, Glenn Powell and other names and sundry. We've got characters returning like Val Kilmer as Iceman and... Well, what do I say about Top Gun Maverick? This is one of those films that you had to go watch at the cinema. You have to see this film in IMAX. And why is that? Because all of the aerial scenes in the cockpit were shot for real in camera. And you can see this. You can see the G's on Tom Cruise's face when they are taking those turns. And just the sheer awesomeness of seeing what they managed to capture on film, in camera, for this film, it gets your 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 blood pumping, it gets your heart racing. My God, I mean, you will feel it in the first two minutes of the film with the intro. As soon as Danger Zone kicks in, fuck it, you are in this movie 100%. And it's a pure old school popcorn flick that brought people back to the cinemas, and there's good reason for that. I know a ton of people have seen this film already. If you haven't seen it, go check out Top Gun Maverick. Try watch it on the biggest screen you can. Go around to your mate's house who's got some moose of fucking TV and go watch it there. Because you need to see this on the biggest screen possible. So Top Gun Maverick coming in at number two. And finally, coming in at number one. The moment that you have all been waiting for. That's my sort of a drum roll. My favorite film of the last five years is Palm Springs. Coming out in 2020, directed by Max Bobakow and uh, starring Andy Sandberg of Lonely Island fame and Kristen Malotti of How I Met Your Mother fame. This is a romantic comedy that takes place at a wedding. And it's about these two characters, Niles and Sarah, who meet at this wedding. But not everything is quite as it seems. Now, I don't really want to give away the twist of this film. Because this is a romantic comedy, but it's a romantic comedy with teeth. Is the best way I can put it. But if you watch the trailer for this film, it gives away the plot device in the trailer. So I'll just have to tell you... What's happening at this wedding is that Niles is stuck in a time loop. He's repeating the same day over and over and over and over this wedding every single day of his life. And he's been stuck there a very, very, very long time. And Sarah gets stuck in this time loop with him. And yes, it does sound very Groundhog Day-ish, and it is, but... Like everything, everywhere, all at once, this is a film that's presenting this high concept idea 
with jokes and, you know, that kind of romantic comedy shtick. But it's talking about some very, very deep stuff just below the level that you can look at. Also, going into meaning of life and how we put meaning into things and Nietzsche's eternal reoccurrence and what would happen if we had no consequences, if everything was free, what would that do to a person? And it's a fascinating watch, but it's also a sweet watch and it has one of my favorite uses of a Kate Bush song outside of Stranger Things. I don't want to say too much about this movie. I love it to death. It uh, kicked off my love of wearing Hawaiian shirts. So if you hate me wearing my, my red Hawaiian shirt, you can blame this film. But like every other film that I've mentioned on this list so far, I don't want to say too much about it. I want you to go in completely blind with Palm Springs and just, it's its its wonderful. I, I love it so much. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, never mind the last five years. So please go check it out. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. If you'd like to get hold of me, if you'd like to send me some questions for... Uh, the listener questions that I'm going to be posting every single week and can get hold of me at Uncle Ram ZA. So that's at U-N-C-L-E-R-A-M-Z-A. And that is on Instagram, TikTok. I'm also available on Facebook as uh, Ryan Mathers. Just look for me with the weird little photo where I'm crouching next to R2-D2. And there'll be lots of photos of my dog, Benny. So you can put a face to the voice or to the bark, I should say. Now... Before I go, last time I did one of these, I ended on a musical note where Mr. Daniel Enticott sang a nice little limerick. We'll not be doing that this week. Instead, I'm going to be quoting a song myself. But first, I need to have a little bit of a serious chat with you guys. And that was the last two weeks I haven't been doing so well. I've actually had one of the worst episodes of just god-awful mental health that I've had in a very, very long time. And that is for many, many reasons. The main being that I'm actually just burnt out from the year. I'm, I'm just feeling completely finished. And something very interesting happened. And that's why I'm telling this little sad tale. But it also leads into how I'm ending this episode. And that was, I was, I was feeling like shit and I wasn't feeling good. And then out of the blue, completely randomly while I was at work and I was driving between suppliers, my friend Kaylee got hold of me and did one of the things that I absolutely love when people do this. And she sent me some music. She was like, Ryan, there's this artist that I really, really like. I think he's insanely talented. He's very, very quirky. And I'd like you to check out the song because I think it's amazing and the music video that goes with it. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm driving quite a lot today. So I'll just, you know, pop in the old headphones and just listen. And she sent me the song called Hi Ren by an artist named Ren. He's a Welsh guy. And I listened to this song and it completely blew me away. This man is... I've now since gone and listened to his new album, his previous album. I've taken a deep dive. He's got a very 
interesting and sad but inspiring story. But this song, this song is about a person having a conversation with their subconscious and the negative parts of themselves and how they push through that. And, you know, I don't want to talk about the right place, the right time or serendipity or any type of thing, but this song being sent to me came at the absolute right time because it was exactly what I needed to hear. It was the exact things that I was dealing with. Now, where does this lead into this episode? What I would like to do is, first off, I'd like to tell you after this episode, jump onto Spotify, Apple, YouTube, wherever you get your music, and go listen to High Ren by Ren. Amazing, amazing song. Go check out his other works as well. He's an incredibly intelligent dude. But at the end of this song, he he stops and he does a completely spoken word section where he tells his story and he speaks to you directly. And that is what I would like to end off today's episode with. So at the end of High Ren, Ren says the following, and I quote, When I was 17 years old, I shouted out into an empty room, into a blank canvas, that I would defeat the forces of evil. And for the next 10 years of my life, I suffered the consequences, with autoimmunity, illness, and psychosis. As I got older, I realized that there were no real winners, and there were no real losers in psychological warfare, but there were victims, and there were students. It wasn't David versus Goliath. It was a pendulum, eternally swaying from the dark to the light. And the more intensely that the light shone, the darker the shadow it cast. It was never really a battle for me to win. It was an eternal dance. And like a dance, the more rigid I became, the harder it got. The more I cursed my clumsy footsteps, the more I struggled. So I got older, and I learned to relax. And I learned to soften, and that dance got easier. It is this eternal dance that separates human beings from angels, from demons, from gods. And I must not forget... We must not forget that we are human beings. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week forward.